go live at 7.01. We do, we do, we do, we do. <clears throat> okay. Mm. All right. Oh, are we, we already go. live? Are we live? We are, are we live? Rock and roll. I hope you got the sound effects I think we on, are too. already live. Right, we um, have. greetings. Greetings, everyone. Okay, so hello, everybody. On hello. Right, let's uh, <laughs> let's get rock and roll. Uh, shall we give it a couple of minutes? We'll let some uh, some move in. How, how are you today, Jan? How are you going? That goes on for freaking ever. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Or should we say, welcome to the Friendly Meeple's Lounge Live, the podcast all about board games, new and old, weird and fun, and our thoughts and feelings about their playability. And our thoughts and feelings about and also, whatever yes, else, because we have, yeah, yeah, excellent, because we, we're kind of undisciplined now, because there's no editing going on, there's minimal preparation, except that we've been working on our top 10 convention games. Why on earth we talk about convention games? We'll come back to that. Um, we've been obsessing about the number 10, haven't we? For all we have been obsessing about the number 10. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, uh, and you might just have to listen for a little longer to find out why the number 10 is so important to us at the moment. And we've also got Francois on, who is moderating. So Francois is going to moderate any comments that come through the chat, any suggestions, any uh, pokes or whatever it is about the top 10s we pick. If anyone's got any kind of feedback, everyone goes, what do you mean that game? You can't possibly have mentioned that game or how dare you miss anything out. You can put it in the, in the chat and Francois can pick that up and give us a good, a good virtual nudge. So, hey, Francois, how are you doing? Good evening, guys. Really, really good. Excited to be here. Give so, us a wave um, in the we... chat if you are here, guys. We'd love to say hello. Big shout out to Stuart and Giselle who've already said hello. Thank you guys for listening. And we've got, um, what have you been playing this week, Jen? Before we get into anything, have you been playing any good games this week? Oh, I actually have. So some very beautiful people from our committee, Mel and Tam, bought me Obsession. And I am, see, right behind me right here, I am 100% obsessed. It is such a great game. I am an absolute Bridgerton devotee. I love all things. And I know it's not really historically accurate, but any kind of period drama I'm in, give me Downton Abbey, give me a bit of Jane Eyre, you know, Pride and Prejudice, absolutely love it. It's basically marrying Mr. Darcy on steroids. So I taught Rod how to play that last night, actually. We had a really fantastic time because he hasn't played it before. Other than that, what have I been playing this week? I have been playing the role of hard-working home worker <laughs> trying to get the bills paid. <laughs> How about you, Chris? I mean, what have you been playing this week? Well, I've definitely been doing some of that last game uh, because I started a new job this week. <laughs> uh, but the main game, actually, that I've been playing a bit of solo games this week just because we've just got my sort of room set up. We just moved house. And I have a little table. I don't know, in fact, I can almost show my little table sat behind me over this little table, uh, which I have in the office, which means that I can, yeah, kind of uh, at the end of a day, where I finished actually working, I can kind of mess around with sort of solo games. I'm waiting for a board game table, which may be some months to come, but it'll be awesome, uh, which is going to sort of live downstairs. And that, that's a fantastic guilty pleasure, that one. Uh, but so I've been playing a couple of solo hey, games and actually teaching myself games to work on. Hey, 
we have we have Gameway with us tonight as well. They just waved hello in the chat. So hi Ray. guys from Gameway. Ray, right. It is so lovely to see you here. I am seriously looking forward to my table from Gameway because they're, they, they're absolutely beautiful things. And this is what I have to work with in the meantime, guys. So feel for me, but don't <laughs> rush because good work is never rushed. Um, the um, So on that table this week has been Massive Darkness 2 Hellscape. And I don't normally go for full-on Amerithrash games, but that's an Amerithrash game where they've decided, you know that thing about being influenced by like Dark Souls and being really serious and gothic rather than silly? They've gone silly, and silly is good. right? It <laughs> makes the fact that it's just a crapshoot a whole load of fun. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to playing that with a bigger group of people because for all that it's got quite a fat rule book, it's, it's, it's fantastic. The other game I've been learning uh, so that I can teach it is a game called Patriot which is a kind of um, sort of almost cyberpunk, almost future kind of, uh, um, you know, kind of you're living in a post-apocalyptic dystopia and the president's under threat and some people want to kill the president. There's riots in the streets. Some people want to save the president and there's devious people on the inside and it's a semi-co-op, part social deduction game, part kind of Battlestar Galactica Mark II. And it's for anyone who's played Battlestar Galactica or Unfathomable, more recently. Patriot is an Australian design game that is very much influenced by those two games, but with its own very distinct spin and its own very distinct lore built into it. So it's not like kind of a a cheap bolt-on to a Cthulhu theme, which unfathomable, whilst a good game is. Um, It's not basically Battlestar Galactica, which Battlestar Galactica is. It's something that's come out of the mind of its own sort of designer and it's really really interesting it takes a good spin on on the mechanics of battlestar galactica and if again that is a hard game to get patriot is a local game to get so that's looking like it's great fun um amazingly it is a spin on battlestar galactica with a single player mode and a two-player mode which is quite impressive on its own so that's hard to do. So I'm, I'm looking forward to giving that a run, both um, in terms of finishing a solo playthrough, but also being able to play that with a big group because I love semi-co-ops. So anyone who's uh, sort of been around either the Friendly Meeple's Lounge or, or knows me knows that I'm addicted to semi-co-op games. So that's my current obsession has been picking up and learning that. Um, we have, uh, you know, so we've got a phenomenal um, show tonight because we've got some prizes. Jen, do you want to tell us Yay, about the prizes? prizes. Yes, our absolutely fantastic partners at Turn Order Games have given us two games that we're able to give away for people tonight. So the first game that they've offered for us to give away was Jaws. So that one's had some really fantastic reviews. It looks absolutely sensational. So the other game that uh, that they have offered us is... Nacho Pile. I haven't heard of that one, but I had a little bit of a look at it and it looks absolutely fantastic. So massive shout out to Kristen and Kip for Turn Order Games. These guys have recently come on as a partner for Melbourne Meeples and they have been absolutely wonderful in their sponsorship. They've been supporting Melbourne Meeples for years as coming along to our conventions and We're really, really happy to be in partnership with them for so many different reasons. So, yeah, please, please, if you need some new games, do have a look at Turn Order. They're located just down in Noble Park. They run gaming events all the time as well. So if you do live southeast, 
and you want to get your board gaming in, definitely go check them out. They're absolutely fantastic. But Chris, we forgot to ask Francois what he's been playing this week. Francois, what have you been playing? If I can find the unmute button, that might that might always work. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I've got a new copy of um, Dorf Romantic uh, that I've been doing a little bit of solo play, um, and that that has been really cool. And um, last Sunday I went off and played some board games uh, as well, and I think. Um, Dungeon Mayhem had been on the list, and it was it was pretty good. Cool. I haven't, I haven't heard of that one. Dorf, I haven't played Dwarf Romantic, but I've heard of that because that's had a lot of buzz this year. I um, it's going to be uh, at the um, board games in the West tomorrow evening. If you are joining us there, Chris, so you might oh. um, might want to have a play there. I I fully intend to make it down, Francois, so I'll have a a look when we get down there. Um, And the, I think it's probably worth at this point letting a bit of the cat out of the bag, isn't it? Because one of the reasons we're obsessed with the number 10 today and doing top 10s because like gaming podcasts and gaming things love top 10s anyway, is that 2023 is the 10th birthday of the Melbourne Meeple's MeepleCon convention, uh, the biggest community run gaming event in Melbourne. And um, it's it's a fantastic thing to be able to be involved uh, with MeepleCon. Uh, we had a hair-raising time through COVID, uh, wondering what was going to happen to the convention. Somehow our <laughs> yeah. Easter convention, the smaller one, OzBunnyCon, kept sneaking through. You know, COVID went away. OzBunnyCon crept in and COVID came back again. <laughs> then COVID went away and OzBunnyCon crept <laughs> in. Um, but MeepleCon struggled for a couple of years with uh, battling back, but was back last year in force. And this year is back for its 10th birthday. We're going to be back at La Trobe University uh, up in Bundora. Uh, and La Trobe University has uh, in its key room, for those that were there last year know this, for those that have not been in that room or for other reasons or didn't come to MeepleCon last year, uh, this is something you can discover this year. Um, its core room is sometimes used for examinations. And they have this special magic carpet that eats sound. So that if you're doing an exam, you don't get distracted oh, by so a falling good. pencil or whatever. Now, the great thing about this is that if you're talking to each other across the table, you can hear what each other is saying without yelling at each other when you're playing a game. It is one of the best spaces for playing board games I think we've ever encountered. So it, obviously it's amazing to find the actual thing. <laughs> it's, it's it's great isn't it and uh, and so it it's, it's wonderful so all you know yeah it is brilliant place so um i mean i'm really 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 looking forward to the event this year and we've got loads of plans i mean some of the wacky ideas jen's been coming out with are pretty crazy <laughs> jen always has wacky ideas so that you know what we are so excited to be bringing you the 10th edition of MeepleCon this year and not just me we've had so many people approach us and say can I run this or can I run that so it's bound to have so many things you've never seen at MeepleCon before I agree with Chris completely that room is probably one of the best spaces I've ever been in we we had I think last year even we had something like 350 people and right on the tail of, you know, lifting COVID restrictions, huge number of people. We could have fitted at least another 150 in that room. And I, I'm partially deaf. So 
spaces that have a lot of noise going on, I can't hear anything. You can literally be standing this close to me. I can't hear what you're saying. It's just too loud. That room, I could hear everybody crystal clear, wasn't even wearing my hearing aids. I don't wear my hearing aids most of the time anyway because I'm lazy as. And it's just, it's such a good space. We've got space in, you know, off to the side where we run little things as well. Like we had the... Um, the quiz night last year, we were running RPGs. We had Blood in the Clock Tower. Pretty sure that's going to be coming back again this year for you as well. Chris has been practicing his uh, Blood in the Clock Tower running too. So definitely a bit of fun to play a game with him. Everyone's had their little different styles of running Blood in the Clock Tower. And I love all of them because some of them are really funny. Some of them are really serious. So you're definitely going to get your fix in at MeepleCon this year. you got to be there because we want to see as many of you there as possible. And I'd also love to give a shout out to everybody that's watching us live. Pop in the chat. What have you been playing this week? If you've got any questions, please fire away because Francois is going to be watching the chat for us, letting us know if there are any questions that you have that you want us to answer live for you. We are so excited as well to be here and chatting with you guys live. There were a few <laughs> test runs to make sure this was going to go off nice and smoothly. So, Chris, why don't we get into our top 10 list of games to play at conventions? Now, this is you know, what we should do. And one thing we haven't discussed, there's a couple of things we haven't discussed. One was who was going to go first, because if we're going like back and forth and we don't know each other's top 10. So I just had a thought that we should do what we often do around the table at a gaming convention and use the Schwazi app. Schwazi. <gasps> we can't do it virtually. So we can't. Jenny, give you a choice. <laughs> Index finger or middle finger? Ooh, middle finger. I'm always the middle finger. Okay, middle finger. Right, okay. So let's turn the sound on. So let's first... And we're going through. So you are white and I'm pink. And Jen, you're up first. So we're going to do a top 10. The second thing was, and I'm going to apologize in advance for this, and this might be the end of everything. I was agonizing last night because we were going to do a top 10. And I was watching one of the Dice Tower top 10s. And the Dice Tower have all those beautiful little animated things. They've got something to announce that it's number 10, that's number nine. We haven't got anything to do that to kind of like split that up you know when we're not animators we're not quite as professional as the dice tower the only thing that i've got is a ukulele so <laughs> while it's my driver's all insane um i think we can just have a quick strum and announce that we are going to go for the top 10 convention games number 10 take it away jen what's your number 10 so my top 10 number 10 convention game is agricola specifically Agricola with Karen because every convention I'm at where Karen comes and we play Agricola, I always have the absolute best time. If you haven't been to one of our conventions and played Agricola with Karen, she's fabulous. She teaches you how to play. She's there for the fun. So while it is a competitive game, she makes it feel like it's cooperative, competitive. You know, it's a really good game to play if you're wanting to learn how to play a worker placement game it's a bit of a longer one but it definitely has some very interesting fun little bits and pieces and I know it's one we've definitely spoken about before we did do a podcast episode about Agricola so yeah where Chris spent half the time <laughs> asking Karen lots of uh, needling questions to get a reaction <laughs> 
If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back and have a listen. It was very, very, very fun. Can we just say that um, uh, Karen has made, uh, 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 Tamara has said, uh, Karen and Agricola is the best. So thanks, Tamara. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is is probably one of the best people you could have. Well, best people, best person you could have at a convention, because she's got a game that she loves to bits, and she'll teach that game. Um, and yeah, she may well win at that game, but she doesn't really care about winning at that game. She cares about spreading the enjoyment of that game in whatever way possible. And Agricola, you're right; it hasn't grown old. That's the weird no. thing about Agricola; it still feels fresh. It's what is it now? Fifteen years old. Oh, at least. And, you know, older than that in conception. So it's a uh, yeah, 15-year-old game. Many of those older games are, yes, they're classics, but they've lost a little bit just because gaming has grown so much over the past few years. And Agricola is, is, is just a phenomenal game. Now, I can't, I, it's, it's, it's not on my 10, it's not on top 10, it's not a crossover, but it's impossible to argue with Agricola. Uh, yeah, I'll it's have to give you that one, Jen. One. Mm. Right. This is uh, for those so, that are watching yeah. our co-host, Moo. So <laughs> Moo quite often joins us for recording the podcast, but most of the time no one can see her because we don't usually record video. But uh, if you do hear a little bit of cat fighting in the background, I have three cats. Not all of them like each other. So apologies in advance if we get a bit of screeching. <laughs> so m- my number 10, 10 my, well, my number 10 is, um, I guess I was trying to think about the games that are good for people who get cold feet. And are going to a convention you need to find a way of sort of like um, breaking the ice and warming up a little bit and i was thinking what's better on cold feet than a good nice tidy pair of socks and it so, so happens there's the game that i always call sock lover for anyone who really does like to keep their feet warm in a nice tiny pair of socks but my wife joe gets annoyed with me calling it sock lover well she doesn't really she kind of goes what are you talking about and then she goes all oh, right you mean so clover which i will still call sock lover. Oh. <laughs> but if you call it that, it's right. But um, so for those that don't know So Clover, So Clover is a it's a cooperative um, word guessing game in the vein of things like code names and so on, where you will get a set of cards and you'll stick them on this plastic um, clover. And you put them on randomly and you then find yourselves with little pairs of words. Um, that means something. So what you then need to do is replace with those pairs of words, you write above them on the leaves of the clover, a word that might hint at what those things were. You do that on all four sides, remove the cards, throw in a dummy card to confuse your fellow players. And then you pass that out and watch in silence as everyone tries to work out what you were thinking. And they <laughs> usually start by sounding like they're going down the right road. Usually, they'll get it almost right really quickly. They will then go, no, 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 that's not what they meant. That's too left field. That's too ridiculous. <laughs> Take them all off again. And busy sat, <laughs> just sit there getting it wrong. As you sit there going, <laughs> and it is, it's just amazing fun. It's a social game so that can get, if, if you want to get together around the table and you're feeling a bit awkward, you don't know the people, you're with a set of strangers and you kind of think, what would be a really, really good game? doesn't take very long where we can all warm up and get to know each other. I really struggle to think of a better game for that than So Clover. It's just so, so funny. And I think part of it is just really, really good choice of words because, you know, a lot of these games, you know, kind of they, they live or die on the, the words that are in there and the combinations that come up. But 
for whatever reason it's just it's nice it's tactile it feels fun you can genuinely really all play it together because you're all shuffling the cards around and so on it spins around that co-op feeling is is really good because it's harder to get like team games can be brilliant like you know like code names like decrypto it's fantastic but it's harder to get that together right at the beginning of a convention or if you're playing with people you don't know um but for that i think that so clover is absolutely fantastic and so i think it's one of the best warm-up games out there it's one of the most approachable warm-up games out there um and so my number 10 game to play at conventions is going to be sock lover so clover <laughs> so there you go. keep your feet nice and toasty <laughs> the first time i ever played that game i'm pretty sure was at uh, Mike Faruga, who who runs um, the board game, he's with the Board Game Barbecue Crew. He runs a game night on Thursday and Tuesday nights. Actually, there's one on tonight, which I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be here. All, all, all the board played, games. Thank you. All aboard games. All aboard games. Um, so I played that at All Aboard Games. And one of the combinations I got was Fun Stick. Now, anybody who knows me really well knows I have a very dirty sense of humour. So I'm very sure you can imagine what I put down as the combination fun stick. So, yeah, and everyone got it. So I think I I definitely was in company of other people who had exactly the same sense of humour that I do. Yeah, but it's not necessary. And and I think one of the things about So Clover is that Actually, you probably get a little bit less of that than you do Absolutely. with some other games. Um, but every now and again, a fun stick's going to come up. That's just the nature of word games. It should be easy. I've not played Anomia yeah. either, actually. And that, that's one no, which I've, I've heard, heard of, of and I can't quite place it. So I'm going to look that up. That's going to be a mission for this weekend. I, it's really dangerous when we hear about games that we haven't heard of, because like usually within two days' time, we've gone out and spent money on them. Uh, and then <laughs> clog up the, the shelves and so on. And we think, oh, but this is brilliant. So we're going to go and check that out. Um, or at least I certainly am. Um, but um, yes, yeah, So Clover is it's in that perfect spot because it feels like it should be easy. You think you're going to kill it. You get in there and you dive and go, oh, we're going to sail through this, but it'll be a bit of fun. And then for some reason, it just doesn't <laughs> quite work out. And it usually is really funny when it doesn't quite work out. So it's it, always it's, it's a classic funny. In that. Also, guys, if you haven't got a glass of wine, mm-hmm. if you do like to uh, imbibe a bevy, please do join us. I've got some sparkling Shiraz. I know Chris has got a red there as well. Have a drink oh, with us. If, or have a Coca-Cola or have a, a non-caffeinated oh, drink or kombucha because we are in Melbourne. So kombucha, hipster drinks are all good <laughs> as well. Or just a coffee. Let's see. So on that note. Number nine. Jen, what's your number nine? <laughs> so in uh, news that will surprise nobody, my number nine is uh, Ticket to Ride. I love Ticket to Ride. It is pretty much one of my favourite games. And there's I put it down at number nine because I know that everybody else gets sick to death of playing it with me because I've pretty much got all of the sequences all planned out already in my head. Um, but I love it as a teaching game. I think for people coming to conventions that haven't really tried anything over and above sort of Scrabble and the game of life and Monopoly, what? Sorry, uh, Monopoly is a great game. Um, For people that haven't really tried board games outside of the norm, 
It's a really good introduction for a game that's super easy to play, still got a bit of strategy, still got a bit of worker placement. It's just got a little bit of everything in a way that is really friendly and fun. And there are so many different variations on it. It's not a very long game. You can make it long. as I can make it a really long game. But it can be a really quick, easy, for me, low brain energy game that I love to get around with other people and just show them how fun slightly out of the box games can actually be. So yeah, that's that's my number nine. And uh, as we can see, I have one or two versions of Ticket to Ride on the shelf and that's actually not all of them because there's a whole stack more that are already uh, in boxes ready to go tomorrow night for Board in the West. That's a, that's a really good one, Jane. Stuart has mentioned it's um, the only game he gets to play with his kids consistently. They've got all the, virtually all the expansions as well. Joelle goes, choo-choo. It's a very good um, seeing that all the different versions. It's been my first game that got to show me when I first went to the community board games night. Um, Stuart asked, what's your favorite one uh, of the expansions? Ooh, my favorite expansion. That's a really good question. Um, I actually, I think my favorite ticket to ride is not an expansion. I think it's the, if you can see the, the giant one. So the special edition Europe version of Ticket to Ride is my favourite because it doesn't just have the standard little trains. It has the doobie little, you know, the ones that have got a little car on them. It's just, it's got the special pieces. It's a much bigger board. Um, So I think it's much easier. I struggle to read upside down. So where the writing and everything's a bit bigger, I find that one much easier absolutely hate Russia. I hate the Russian expansion because it's the only version ticket to ride where Rod can consistently beat me. Rod, for those that don't know, is my beautiful husband. He's absolutely amazing. I'm not competitive at all. Um, But yeah, every single time we play Russia, he beats me. Cool. So, so next time you and I play Ticket to Ride, it's Russia. We're playing Russia. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's the only way I'm going to get a hope as well. So, yeah, Jen is quite good at Ticket to Ride. Um, right, Jen. So my number nine, exactly the opposite end of the spectrum in this sense, we've talked about more accessible games, is actually a long game. And it's a bit of a personal choice because there's lots of long games because actually one of the things you can do at conventions is play those games that go on a little bit, um, you know, that you just can't quite get to the table, that family won't play and people want to play. And the reason I picked this particular one is that it's a game that for some reason a few times has come up, people going, you know, I want to play that. And I've ended up playing it at conventions. And the things that are good about the game shine and the things that are less good about the game kind of okay because you're at a convention and the game i'm going to play here is it's merchants and marauders it's an amerithrashy game or like a dice rollicking game of uh, of either being a pirate or being a trader or trying to be a trader and a pirate and it's a big sandbox where you go kind of do whatever you want chase stuff try and get to 10 glory points um get some gold go and steal someone else's gold blow up each other's ships uh, get into in-depth ship battles can be multi-ship battles with pirates and the french navy and the english navy and other 
players all ganging up against you at once, um, blowing each other's ships up, then picking up new captains and going again. And it is... It's a kind of chaotic game. This is not a game you play Sounds if you want like to have a elegant sort of like um, Euro-style fairness, right? This is a game where you can get all the money and think, I'll just get back to my island and put it away. And then someone blows your ship up. And as is thematically true, they take all of it right? <laughs> and leave you with like a tiny little dinghy somewhere. It's also a game where battles can go on suddenly for 20 minutes. So you can be playing quick fire turns. And then suddenly this big battle comes up that's going to take 20 minutes. And the reason I pull this out here, because it's very thematic. It is great fun in the right context. And when that happens, it usually fits when someone needs to go to the food cart and go and get a cup of tea or somebody goes. So what happens is that you get there and go, oh, right, there's a battle going on. A couple of us will umpire the battle and make sure that it goes on, right? You go and get some food in. And then they go and get some food in, come back, you've all got something to eat. And then you carry on playing Merchants and Rewarders. And somehow it fits with playing at a convention. Now, I'm biased towards piratey games. I will go and no. buy almost any game just because it's piratey, <laughs> um, which is a little bit of a feeling. So there was always going to be a pirate game on my list somewhere. Um, Merchants and Marauders is a classic. Merchants and Marauders is like Firefly, like Zaya, is, is a chaotic, messy sandbox you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. But if you're going to play it, the best place to play it is at a convention. Um, so I've Merchant Rodas is my number nine. Oh, wow. That number is nine. amazing. Um, Pam is giving you some love for it as well, Chris, and says um, she finds it hard to find players to play it with. And the convention is a perfect place to find some players. And uh, hopefully Chris will bring it along. I will you know, I will happily bring Merchants and Marauders along and I'll happily do a big big teach of Merchants and Marauders and eliminate the expansion bits you don't want and get the right bits in. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic fun. It really is. Well that is that's the good thing about MeepleCon as well, isn't it? When you come along for something like that, we have a really awesome system if you haven't been to MeepleCon before, that if you're looking for people to play a game with, we've got flags. So we've got green flags for just I know how to play this game and I'm looking for people to come and play with. And we've got red flags to say, hey, can someone teach me? I probably have that in the wrong order. We have flags to help you put on we the table. Flag. <laughs> we, flag. we play capture the flag. So, we you know, do play capture weird, the flag. Capture the flag. Or it's, it's kind of like go to the flag. And, it's like, and, of course, we have black flags with skulls on them if you want to play a pirate game. Right. Excellent well, we don't idea. Yet, I'm working on it. I can that's, make that's, that happen. Yeah, working Chris. on it. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, if you want to play a pirate game, and if you if you do so, and I'm not on duty, and I, I'm on like play time as opposed to like kind of a, a convention jobs time, then I will come and play a pirate game with you. So, uh, so we're. You'll just so, leave me at um, the front desk as usual. Yeah. <laughs> even, well, I wouldn't, but for a pirate game. <laughs> I'll do the next one. I can clearly see we're going to have some challenges with manning the front desk with these two. <laughs> um, I I just want to say, Jessica, uh, welcome to Jessica. Um, she asked, Chris, do you have Treasure Island? She can bring it to board games in the East. Uh, if you don't, right. that seems to be a great pirate game. So I've not got Treasure Island, and I was wanting to try treasure island because i hadn't realized that it's actually got almost a semi-co-op element to it because i picked that up i was doing um a recorded a video a few months ago now but it went up about a month ago with um jamie stegmeyer because i've done some like playtesting stuff with jamie over the years and so i know him from that and the uh um and 
Jamie brought up Treasure Island and was talking to me about Treasure Island and, and basically was saying much the same thing. And we were having a chat afterwards about piratey games because uh, I have my thing about piratey games. Um, I think he was quite surprised that I hadn't played that one. So I would love to play Treasure Island, Jess, definitely. That would be awesome. That's that's a drawing game, isn't it? So you're kind of like trip, find, find your treasure and confuse people onto where it is. Isn't that? I think it's with, with a pen. You? So it's properly thematic. Yeah. I actually did good? see as well in the chat that yeah. the guys mm -hmm. from Gameway were asking when is MeepleCon? So MeepleCon is the last weekend of November. Stay tuned. We'll give you some more details. Yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Whichever those are, they start with a two. Now I should remember, is it I can't remember what the Friday is. Is it twenty They do start with fifth? a two. <laughs> Is it 25th, 26th, 27th? I'm sure I have a calendar open here somewhere. Let's sure have a quick have the... look. It is the 24th, 25th, 26th. I think. Okay, from... I'm fairly certain Tam or Mel will correct me in the chat if I am wrong. Right, well, that's how Mel pick pick that one up. But yeah, it is the last weekend in November, starting on a Friday night, running through to the Sunday. Um and I suppose we probably best get on. Try and think it goes. So number eight. These are getting better, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I only know two chords on a ukulele. I could play more on a guitar, but that's downstairs. <laughs> so my Jen, number, number eight, eight for playing at conventions Arc Nova. Ark Nova is, obviously, it's been one of the biggest games for the last couple of years. I think it's an amazing game to play at a convention for the same reason as um, Marauder, what was it? Um, Merchants and The Marauders. one you were just showing, Chris, that one. <laughs> Thank you, Merchants and Marauders. It is a bit of a longer game. Uh, it's a very thematic game. It's a really great game. It's got a lot of really good mechanics. And I like to play games that are a little bit longer sometimes at conventions because there's so many people around to ask, hey, do you want to play this with me? Because my poor husband gets really sick of playing long games with me all the time. So it gives us all the opportunity to try something a little bit different, a little bit new. And there are always lots and lots of people at conventions with Arc Nova it is a bit more of an expensive game, so it's definitely one that not everybody owns. And I think it gives you a really good opportunity at conventions to try games like that to see if you do want to buy something that is a little bit more expensive and if you'd like to then, you know, do you think it'll work as a two-player game? Do you think it works with a smaller group? I think Ark Nova is one of those games that really is very flexible. It does work great just as a two-player it does work great when you've got the full spread. I think four is the cap you can play with Ark Nova. Four is, and I'm really hoping lots. it is four. I'm really hoping that the expansion yeah. does not expand it to five players. I don't think it does. I don't remember hearing that. I really hope it doesn't. And I know all those people are kind of going, I like playing with five players, but there are some games which the moment you play with five players go on forever. Um, and you know and become almost unplayable and that's what happens at conventions when a game will take that you go oh go on then we'll do it like that and it takes up the whole day so i'm hoping that they keep it at four because four is is good for our nova but i mean that's the great thing about it you can play it at every player count one two three four and it's still a brilliant game 
there is some real love for Ark Nova in the chat as well. Giselle says it scares her a little bit. The size of Ark Nova scares her. And I think, um, Giselle, don't don't get too intimidated with the size. It, it's Darling, just, it's, it looks lovely. It looks it's a little not bit the size of the matters. <laughs> it's, it's not the size that should scare you. It is an amazing game to try in a, a convention. It's a definite uh, great place to try that. Ryan says it's a bit of a, a table hog, which it is, but um, yeah, we've got some good sized tables at the at Bunnycon as well, as well as MeepleCon. So yep, nah, it's it's a great game to play. We actually tested at Bunnycon, so it does fit on the Gameway board game tables as well. So if you are interested in getting one of the Gameway board game tables, trust me, the guys have they, they have you covered. I think we had Ark Nova out on one of the tables for a while to show people that it would fit. Um, I'm very lucky in that I have a table at home which is 1.2 by 2.4 metres long and we had my birthday party, was it last weekend or the weekend before? I don't know. We had my birthday party quite recently and we had two different big games going on at the same time on either end of my table. That's how big it is. So if you have got a big table, great. If you've got a small table, Get some beanbags or cushions, my friend, on the floor. You can make it happen. I think you can fit almost so any Chris. game on one of the uh, gameway tables, as I say. Um, partly because um, uh, Jim, who obviously is still here, is got all these different little clever gadgets that you can slide onto the rails or slide onto one side of the rails or the other side, depending which um, brand you've got. Um, and it's an ever kind of moving beast. Um, in fact, when, we, when I ordered my table, like the other, we were having this so. long conversation about, you know, how do we maximize it for sort of player boards versus reach over the board and everything like that. Uh, but they do a fantastic job with that. Um, so it works really well. Arc Nova does work really well at conventions. I think we'll probably uh, uh, sort of come back to tables uh, sort of later in the in, in the podcast. I can podcast do we still call it a podcast it will be a podcast once it's live on the channel uh, on this podcast, uh, on this top yeah. 10 it'll come back because tables are a big thing uh, when it comes to conventions so my number eight is completely different and uh, again Ooh, some of you who know me know how much love i have for this game um this game is a game again it's not piratey but it does involve kind of desert islands i'm being stuck on a desert island and working together to get yourself off the desert island. Everyone's going to club together. You're going to go out. You're going to get yourself the stuff you need to build a raft to get away from the storm. You're going to go out into the forest and collect food and stuff. You're going to go out to the wreckage and find stuff that's useful for your friends. And everyone's going to help each other out because there's a hurricane coming. Um, until there's not enough food for you to eat. And then you're all going to turn on each other and try and eat each other and work out who's going to be for it. And that game is Helapagus. So Helapagus is the most purely semi-cooperative <laughs> game that I know. Um, and the mechanics of the game are dead easy. The mechanics of the game are incredibly simple. You effectively take a few turns, you take a couple of actions, you work out what you're going to do. There's a bit of push your luck to see what you get. Um, and uh, But the politics of the game comes in when you realise, as you will, that you simply cannot feed everybody. And then it turns out that someone wasn't helpfully getting kind of random flotsam and jetsam to build rafts when they went out to the wreckage. 
they were going and finding themselves a gun so that when somebody says we're going to eat them, they're not going to eat them. I'm going to shoot them. But oh, no, I've got a steel plate. So I bounce off your bullet and it hits them over there, um, except maybe they haven't got a steel plate. Maybe they're just telling you they have because then they think, oh, heck, if I shoot them, they'll shoot me next turn. So why don't we make a deal to shoot somebody else and then we can eat them instead? <laughs> and the whole game, it basically turns into a massive um, sort of like discussion, um, I think is a polite way of putting it. A massive kind of, what do you mean? I've been helping you for ages. You know, you can't do that. I can keep us all alive. I've got the spirit of the team. Most of that kind of negotiation where you're bartering over how much resources you've got in a semi-co-op or social deduction game is out the window, right? That's not in here because it's such a simple game. Some of the time you're really just discussing and who you think is like best for the team and who you think is for it. And yet it still works, right? This game can go on for 20 minutes and go on for an hour and 20 minutes, right? Depending how much you're enjoying it. Um, and ultimately... It will only go on for longer if you're enjoying it that much that you want to make it work for longer. As a talking game, as another game for like getting to know each other, um, it's brilliant in that sense because it's not a social deduction game. Right? Nobody here is trying to work out who the traitor is. You might occasionally want to try and guess whether someone's lying about whether or not they've got something sneaky in their hand, but it's not about trying to work out who the hidden mastermind is or any of that stuff. This is a game that's fundamentally about talking, playing a role, getting very, very indignant when somebody goes, what, me? You think I should be eaten? Yeah, I can't possibly be eaten. Look, I've been like, I'm bitten by a snake. I'll be venomous. You know, you can't eat me. Um, and it gets incredibly silly, incredibly fast. Um, and I love it to bits. Um, and you were talking about... Uh, Mike from the board game barbecue earlier. I, I have I've probably never seen anybody get as um, absolutely 100% into role as Mike when we played this uh, back at the All the Board Games events. Probably I might be well over a year ago now uh, that one. But it's a phenomenal, phenomenal game, and it's lots and lots and lots of fun. So Hilapagus, I would strongly recommend uh, to anybody. That's my number eight. This is another one I haven't played. Like I don't believe it. Of all the board games I have played all the time that we've been doing board game conventions, there are so many still that I really need to get my teeth around and play. And this is one of the beautiful things about the Melbourne Meeples community is we even figured out between, you know, all of the board members for Melbourne Meeples, we've probably got over a thousand individual board games. You know, there's just so many options available yeah it's crazy it's, the fact that we can narrow it down to a top 10 is pretty nuts can I say one other cool thing about Halapagos, uh, and this is less relevant to the convention, right? In in order to make it work, it has this really, really cool kind of like Hessian sack, which I'm holding out. This, and the for when you're drawing to see what you get with fishing, you fish around with these lovely little wooden balls um, with like fish printed on them, which just feel really, really, really nice and make nice sort of shaky noises. So they're, um, you know, it's it's very, very nicely done for what is again a very simplistic game. Um, it's got the coolest drawback. There's a lot of games with drawbacks these days, but it's got the coolest drawback, I think, of any game I own, uh, which is very nice. But yeah, so um, Hellapagus is great, but there's so many great games. I mean, and Jen's, uh, it's, it's, you're right. It's, there's the amount of games that there are, even on the shelf at MeepleCon. If you actually try to play them all in order, it would probably take you the whole year until the next MeepleCon. Oh, 100% it would. There's just. There's so, so, so many games out there, that's for sure. So now, look, guys, we're going to have a very minor intermission because 
I've been drinking wine and I need to go to the bathroom. So Chris is going to give us some more spoilers about MeepleCon. So I'll be back in just a minute. Well, it's probably less spoilers about MeepleCon now as we go, because I'm trying to think what else we can say about MeepleCon, because we've said when it's coming up, we said it's going to come up at the end of November. Um, I don't really have a Meeple song. I did kind of think maybe that would have been the thing, you know, MeepleCon, Meeple song. That would be a thing. Should we have one? Should we have like a MeepleCon anthem? Uh, so little best footy teams have got a MeepleCon anthem. So that might be something that we can work on as we go. I would suggest that we don't have it with me playing on the ukulele. Um, I know. Um, oh, Chris, I come, come on. I, I think we are really Meeple looking song. forward to, you know, putting all your hits on Spotify. So. A Meeple song, yeah, yeah. A bit like a... Well, it, it, the problem is I'll put them all on and Francois, you'll take all the rights and I'll have to do Chris's version and put on Chris's version of all those songs. Yeah. <laughs> if Taylor can do it, so can I. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Chris. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I was going to give an honourable mention, actually, because there's, um, I, one of the, there's a game that isn't on my top 10 uh, convention games, but I have played a lot uh, sort of gaming events in its various different guises. And that is um, a Great Western Trail, any of the Great Western Trails. Um, and that could be the original Great Western Trail, which I played a lot of, Great Western Trail Argentina, which I wasn't actually that keen on, Great Western Trail New Zealand, which I played once and is quite, you know, uh, head doing, but is, um, but is a fantastic game. And the reason that Great Western Trail didn't make my top 10 convention games was because the damn thing usually requires a table slightly wider than your average Meeple convention table. And if you put it on two tables stuck together, it's too wide and you have to lean right over to work out what's going on because the icons are too low. It just wants a table that's that itty little bit bigger. Now, if you've got one of the big gameway tables, that's perfect. Um, and we did have, I remember in the church hall we used to play with in a group back in the UK that had slightly wider, fatter tables, which is where we used to play a lot of Great Western Trail and, and got used to it. We just called it the cow game. And I still call it the cow game, which of course is problematic because the new one has got sheep. And uh, the last time we were playing um, Great Western Trail New Zealand the other week, and was it last? Yeah, the other week, it was at Board in the East. And the entire time through, I was just like, well, I'm going to buy some cows. I'm going to pick some cows. I'm going to take the cows up. <laughs> Anthony, who we were playing with, was basically like, sheep, they're sheep. <laughs> they're not cows. <laughs> I couldn't stop it. <laughs> so somewhere there were cows in that game. I kind of thought in Great Western Trail New Zealand that at the end of the game, you know, like when you have a sequel, right? And the sequel has a different setting and a different theme and goes somewhere else. So you kind of think, right, okay, we've done a little bit of a, a rerun of this. You know, you've got a new game, video game, saying that the series line, or you've got a new like TV series or a movie that's set in the same universe. You can come on, you introduce the new characters, but then like literally in the last sort of like 25 minutes or so, the classic villains or the classic characters suddenly appear back. And they make a bit of thing. And everyone in the cinema is like, yay, go for it. Because they want to see like their classic, you know, kind of favorite characters come back again. They just couldn't make a whole film out of it. I kind of felt when I was playing Great Western Trail in New Zealand that there should have been like a special coda where like basically you're going. And as you get towards the end of the game, you're on the last run. Suddenly out the market, pop some cows. <laughs> you can buy some cows. <laughs> Return of the Great Western Trail massive. You know, here comes like a few cows for the last cows hurrah. You get a bonus point to, to mix a cow with your sheep. Yeah, <laughs> and guns. Um, can we so, have some chickens um, with choppers then as well? Oh, um, possibly. That might work. Yeah. Now. <laughs> Chris, there's a, a, a few good questions. One of them, Stuart, asked how long did the New Zealand version take to play uh, at board camp? You, you don't, don't want to know. know. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
you, Stuart, you know how in board games in the East we are able to run over the 11 o'clock time because they don't have an official curfew? That was a good thing. I think we hit four and three quarter hours, including the teach. Um, it was it, it's it's an epic game, and I think it can be played faster. It can definitely be played faster if there's not four of you learning the game, but all four of us had played a Great Western Trail game before, if not Great Western Trail New Zealand, uh, and it still took that long. We enjoyed it, but be aware of what you're letting yourself in for if you decide to pick that one up. Um, I do have a copy. Um, uh, you know, Steffi came to, to board and he has a copy as well, so if you're interested in playing, uh, I'm sure we can make that happen. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it is a long game, uh, so let, that, I wouldn't underestimate the commitment. Right, okay. Oh, more questions, more questions, right? Oh, no, no, I'm being rude. I can't. Yeah, help. one more question. Giselle asks, um, what advice would you give to a person going to a MeepleCon for the first time? I think Tam gave some good advice in the chat. Um, definitely join some games that are already going on. Uh, there's definitely some prearranged events that we put out beforehand for you so you know what's going to be happening. Um, come and talk to the staff. We are so happy to introduce you to people. There are really lovely regulars who come to MeepleCon all the time who are always happy to welcome new players, who are always happy to just, you know, play different games that you might have brought with you that you just haven't had a chance to play before. What do you think, Chris? What's your advice? So I'd kind of reflect back, actually, on the first time I ever went to a board game convention. And it wasn't MeepleCon, it was back in the UK. Uh, but the first time I went to a convention, I didn't actually know that many close friends that were local to me who were into board games. Like my family weren't that into board games. That The whole new board game thing becoming popular was, was still relatively young. Um, so I went to this board game convention. There was loads of people, and they had flags as well. In fact, actually, they didn't have flags. They had helium balloons. Helium balloons, unfortunately, lost a bit of helium as the night they went on. They got a bit lapsed, but they were great in the morning. They were <laughs> properly flying up in the air. So um, they, uh, so I went in there and I didn't know anybody. And I kind of looked around and, you, you know, you do that. You feel a little bit nervy. It was a, you know, a bigger convention. It wasn't a, an easy way for people at the front desk to help out, which we can at MeepleCon to try and make sure that you find a, find a, a person to play with. So I went in there and I saw someone who had just picked up one of the balloons. And I thought, well, I didn't even know what the balloon was for at that point, but I walked towards them and I said, oh, what's the balloon about? And they said, oh, I was looking for players. Do you want to play it? I said, yeah. So I sat down with the person I never met before. We played a short <laughs> two-player game. It was um, Escape Curse of the Temple, actually, at that point, which is like on a timer. So we played that a few times. Um, and then we went off and found another couple of people who we sat down with. Then those people split up and some of us played a game with some other people. And then I met one of them again the day after and we played some games with some other people. And by the end of that convention, I had a bucket load more friends and I did know people because some of those people were local who I then met up with and planned to play games with. And then we went to local game events. And so from that first game at a convention with a stranger, within a day, I had a bucket load of friends, some of whom are still friends for life. Um, within two days, I had even more. And with every gaming event that followed that, I had more and more and more. And I've always played with new people when I've been at conventions. Um, and I've often played with a lot of the same people when I've been at conventions. Moved to Australia. Same thing, right? Except I was much more confident because I knew it worked like that. But I just sat down and suddenly, you know, that I have a photo of the first board game I played at OzBunnyCon, which is my first convention after moving to Australia in the middle of COVID, uh, you know, when we all come out of lockdowns. And there are five or six of us around that table. Every single one of those purse people I would now consider to be a good friend. That's amazing. 
<laughs> so it's just a, it's it's absolutely fantastic the friendships you can make. That first bit when you walk through the door and you're feeling, oof, how do I do this? I've not been to a convention before and I'm not with anyone I know. Um, we've all been there. Come to the desk. Just tell us quietly, saying, oh, I'm looking for a game and I'm not quite sure where to start. We'll take you over. We'll find someone to man the desk. We'll pop over with you. Look at the library. Look at the games that are on offer. Find you something that you'd enjoy playing or find someone who's playing something you'd enjoy playing and sort you out. So, you know, you don't have to we'll worry at all. We'll work right into the desk this year. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we're going to be um, <laughs> there for anyone. And we always always are there for anybody who's looking for something to play um, and to make sure that we can make those connections. And once you've made that first connection, that's it. Uh, you, you can just roll uh, from that point onwards. And, and that's what's so fantastic about the community. <laughs> and just a quick um, compliment to the staff at BunnyCon. Giselle said um, she went to BunnyCon and staff were amazing and nice. So good job, guys. Aww. <laughs> Thank you, Giselle. Thank we you. do love what yeah. we do. And, and also, and I just, also I'm going to give um, a shout out the to other staff, staff who at the Bowls here. Club. Yeah, as well. Yes. Also, <laughs> Tam and Mel, who are on the desk generally more often than the rest of us. Uh, Matt as well, who are not on the broadcast with us tonight. I know Tam and Mel are both in the chat. Those guys deserve a massive shout out. And, you know, if it wasn't for the whole team, we've got two new people in the team this year with Francois and Sonica as well. We work as a really well-oiled machine at this point. And if it wasn't for the effort that every single person in the team puts in, the conventions would not run anywhere near as well as they do. And it's such an amazing team to be a part of. So, yeah, shout out to everybody on the team. Rod's in the chat. And Rod's in the chat as well. And, and to Rod. Uh, because No uh, consent know, to Rod. <laughs> Yeah. Jen shouts out to everyone except for oh, except Rod, because Rod, Rod's just eat, like basically going, I've got, I've we got love. food. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, Poor Rod is so, the yeah. unsung hero of the Melbourne Maples team. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Bowls Club is a lovely venue. We, we I actually asked the Bowls Club, I said, now, at BunnyCon, we've got such demand for BunnyCon. You're such a wonderful venue. We were just wondering whether you could get planning permission to magically just extend it by kind of about 200 square feet. And, and just make the bowls club bigger, like stretch that and, you know, maybe make the rest of the world just smaller somewhere where people don't mind too much, you know, kind of, and, and you know, just stretch it like Sydney or somewhere. And, um, and so, you know, they <laughs> thought about it and unfortunately said that it was probably beyond the, the range of the budget to do that. But, um, but it's, you know, if we could make that venue bigger, we would, cause it's just phenomenal. The, the, the guys there who Absolutely. run the bowls club are just fantastic. Uh, it's just got such a wonderful feel to it. And those, those four days at BunnyCon are just, are just magic. We are. I'm just. I'm conscious now, of time. Chris, despite what we're on. So we're yeah, going to have to uh, move on. Now, we, know. we need to keep going. <laughs> I can't even do that properly. Number seven. <laughs> <laughs> My number seven. <laughs> um, now I'm going to be a bit cheeky here, and I'm going to tie two games together that I think are very similar in their gameplay, and they're two games which look very cute and cuddly and we've actually spoken about both of these games on the podcast before as well i'm going to say calico and cascadia now the reason i'm looping these two games together is they are look if you've played both of them you'll know they are quite similar i feel like cascadia is 
Calico Unbound. There's no border around it. You can build where you need to. I love them as convention games because they don't take too long to play. They look so cute and they look so lovely and they feed my competitive little heart perfectly because they are actually super cutthroat. Both of them, you know, you've only got limited options available to you. It's a really good way to introduce new people to some games that are a little bit more cutthroat without it being too harsh. You know, I think Villainous is a game that re- can be super, super vicious. Calico and Cascadia win my vote for vicious convention games that are still cute and fluffy and fun. I think that's fair. I think, I think Calico is definitely much, much more <laughs> vicious than Cascadia. That's fair, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, 100%. It's got in it. yeah. <laughs> you can't evolve cats without it being vicious. <laughs> So, so what I about you, Chris? Calico and it was Bring on much. your number yeah, seven. I, so, my number seven, I'm going to go on with this, is um, so is another one of those games that's playable at lots of different player counts and is quite straightforward. Uh, good rules, good pace to it. It's a game which every time I have introduced it to somebody, they have become obsessed with it. And I remember being introduced to it um, by, uh, again, by Mike, who we were talking about uh, earlier, um, had introduced me to this game. Uh-oh. At the end of have being introduced to this game, uh, we, um, are we? I'm still here, I think. Still here, I think. Are we go back? Are we back? Have we lost Jen? Lost Francois, Francois, can you hear me? me? I can hear you clearly, Chris. Right, I think, Jen's, I, think, I think I think Jen's might have internet problems. Right, so, so no, I can see she's back, but potentially lost the sound. So I will carry on. So the game, which um, which I better pick up and I'll put it in the camera so that Jen can see what I'm talking about, unless she's got that, is Project L. So um, Project L is a Tetris-inspired board game. You're given lots of puzzles, um, uh, and within those puzzles, now have we are we still on? Are we still running, Francois? I know that Jen, I think, internet cut out. Is we still running on Facebook? Right, cool. Okay. So, just around me. So, Jen, Jen, Jen will be back once her internet is loaded up. So, Project L is a game where you have little puzzles that you effectively draw out, and those little puzzles give you um, things that you assemble with Tetris pieces, and you complete those puzzles with your Tetris pieces. And having completed those puzzles with your Tetris pieces, you then get extra pieces, so you can create bigger puzzles, and it becomes like a little engine. And some of those puzzles are sort of little and dinky, and some of them are big. And for those who are listening later on the podcast, audio podcast, you can't see this, but I'm holding one up on the screen now. You would basically fill something in like that, and if you filled it incorrectly, you'll get one of those. And you have all these bits, and it runs really quickly, really fast, and is really addictive. But one of the great things about Project L is um, it has an expansion, which I hope will come out for the retail release of Project L, because there was a whole bunch of issues uh, with how this game was produced um, that caused some some complexity. Uh, and those issues came because the uh, they actually got bought out by uh, Asmodee. Asmodee made a mainstream version of Project L, uh, but unfortunately, it's not quite compatible with the Kickstarter version. Um, but if you do get to play the Kickstarter version, it goes up to six players. And in Project L, when you play with six players, three of you play, each playing at the same time as one of the other three. So you have these little things where you're taking your moves simultaneously. So it keeps up that Tetris-like speed. And there's such an energy to Project L. It's just so addictive. It's got such a hook to it. Um, and it's 
it's one of those games that should become uh, an absolute instant classic. This game should be flying off the shelves of Target. My one worry is that the designers of the game might not take the money from that because I think they got, you know, they got very excited when the license got bought by Asmodee, but I'm not sure how much they get out of that. Um, I don't think it's worked out quite as well for them as they'd hoped because I don't think they realized how good Project L was when they put it out. Um, but it is an absolutely phenomenal, uh, accessible game that nobody I know who I've introduced it to hasn't loved. And you know, it, what better game could you pick up and play at a convention and introduce people to than the one everyone seems to love? So for me, that's Project L. Jen, have we got you back? I do love Project L. I'm back. Yay! <laughs> my uh, my internet froze for a second then. Unfortunately, our router has been playing some very fun games. So I'm actually just using my phone internet to do this tonight. So um, I'm not going to shout out to my phone company because I'm really paid off with them at, at the moment. But the internet's working amazingly for one moment. So all good. So are we going to yeah. do our number six? So I think we are going to do our number six. Um, I think I'm going to stop with this. No, keep doing it. Six, 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 the number of number six. What's number six? <laughs> that, that was a stretch. Sorry. <laughs> that was hilarious, Chris. <laughs> right, okay. So, Jen, give us your number six. My number six, it's a bit of a classic. Uh, this is a game I'm fairly certain everybody who's played some slightly more unconventional games has played. I'm going to give it to Code Names. Because you have to have a good group of people for code names. It is really hard to get that number of people together, unless you're playing code names duet. Obviously, two player code names, great. You can play that anytime, anywhere. But I love code names with a big group of people because it comes becomes super fun. Much like um, So Clover or Sock Lover, um, it's one of those games that. It's really open to interpretation. You can get some really fun clues and things going on. And I think it's a really fun game to play with people who you don't know well because it gives you a very quick introduction to their sense of humour and the kind of things that they know. It's just it's a really good icebreaker game. I've never played a game of code names that didn't have a dozen good laughs in it over a silly clue that somebody got completely wrong. And yeah, it's just it's a classic. It's an absolute classic code names. So code names is the first game that I played at the MeepleCon that we had at La Trobe in the room with the magic carpet that absorbs all the sound. And that was the moment where I went, oh, my God, this carpet's good. <laughs> because it was all of those kind of like conversations were just it was just so much clarity, um, which was absolutely great. And it wasn't it wasn't a big game, right, you know, in terms of the numbers of people playing and so forth. But you could really, really hear and you need to be able to hear. That's the thing with, the, with that game. It's not great in a huge echoey environment. Um, but, yeah, I agree, Jen. Codenames is just a masterpiece. Um Absolutely. At some point, we should probably do a podcast on Vlad Shvatel and all of um, the bizarre assortment of games he's designed 
from like code names up to kind of like Mage Knight, the legendary heaviest game that in the world if you play it multiplayer like he originally designed it, which is is just Ooh. absurd. But um, but you know it's just ridiculous. He's he's made some absolutely bonkers games, but Code Names is a masterpiece. I'll hand that to you. <laughs> absolutely. So my number six number six is a game that I refer to as the aftercare game. Mm-hmm. So um, we talked, and we've not really done any sort of really heavy brain-melting Euros. I think the, the biggest game that we talked about in terms of size is Merchants and Marauders. The heaviest game from a brain-teasing point of view is kind of so far has been Art Nova. Um, but sometimes people go to conventions and you end up playing like a really big, hard, heavy game. Like you get out a box with Vital Lacerda's name on it, or you play it on Mars, or you play something like Barrage, or you play something that's just really intensive and has your brain melting. Sometimes you play a game where you go, oh, heck, I need to have played this four or five times to even get any score of value in it. And sometimes you do that through choice. It's interesting. You get in there, you dive into a game. It's the kind of game where you need time and space to do. But at the end of it, your brain is weary. You're melted. You need a little bit of aftercare. And for that, there is only one game that is the perfect kind of little digestive if you've played one of those games to get you back into the proper joy of being in a convention, and that is Crossing. Um, so Crossing, um, and this game, so I say its availability is a weird one. It'll be available and then not, and then available and then not. It sort of appears every now and again in a reprinting. When it does, you can usually get it for about 10 bucks. Get it, right? Because if it's only 10 bucks, why not? Crossing is what's also known as the pointing game. I'll say at home game, do you want anyone to play Crossing? What's Crossing? We've not played Crossing. Yes, you have. Not to know we've not played Crossing. We've definitely not played a game called Crossing. Yes, you have. What is it? It's the pointy game. Oh, right, that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, let's play the pointy the game. The pointy game. Ah. Oh. Yeah. So Crossing, you put loads of gems out. Azul style onto little boards in the middle of the table onto little markets. Um, you're trying to collect sets of gems either of different colors like traffic lights or additional white ones to get points. You raise your hand and you go three, two, one, poof, and point at a pile of gems. If you point at one no one else is pointing to, you get them. If not, you get nothing. When you get them, you put them on your own little map. From the next go on, when people point, they can point at your mat and steal your gems. But you can also decide to put your hand down and save your gems, meaning you can't point at a bigger pile of gems elsewhere. But those gems are then protected, except you'll then lose your next turn. And losing your next turn doesn't take very long in this game. So the old miss a turn being a bad mechanic doesn't go out. Uh, It's utterly, utterly kind of like chaotic, in particular with six players. It's just one, two, three, bang, one, two, three, bang. And at the end of a game of crossing, or two games of crossing, because usually you just end up immediately starting again afterwards, all of that brain tension you get from playing something really, really, really strenuous is gone. It's like a beautiful kind of character smoothie at the end of an intense muscular workout at the gymnasium. Um, And I... um, a bit like Project L is a game I will recommend to anybody for what it is. Crossing is a game I will recommend to anybody. I will drag out at all points. I will have in my bag at every convention I go to in order that if somebody needs medication, if somebody needs that support, I have Crossing <laughs> to help them. And that is my, uh, that's why it is my number five, number six game to play at conventions. And um, we're halfway through, Jen. Do we need to do a giveaway? I was just going to say, I think it's time for a giveaway. 
And Francois, mm-hmm. this is where uh, you get to shine, my friend. Um, so, guys, so, guys, if you see how we go. So is the mechanics of this? Have we got if basically you a randomizer? At the start of the podcast. I've got a randomizer up. Um, I've added everybody that I could see in the chat as well as people that's registered. Um, and here we are. So, uh, Chris and Jen, I don't know if you can see that. We, we can, can see that. So let's see uh... that. Fantastic. And we should probably restrict this. Do we know what we are giving away before we're giving it away? Should we, we do? do? Should we do Nacho yes, Pile first? The first so that's a smaller game. So Nacho Pile. That's is what first. I was going to okay. suggest. Uh, right. Okay. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to spin the wheel. Close, almost so yourself. Stuart, well we done, Stuart. A... So we will. You go, we'll have, well, Stuart. Stuart, you're a uh, Stuart. You're a uh, board in the East att- attendee. So I will um, will source from Turnover Games. We'll get you a copy of Nacho Pile, and I will bring that along to board in the East for you. That's all right. So there's one Nacho Pile coming your way, sir. Congratulations. Uh, whee! Okay, so we've got a Yay! giveaway. Thank George. you so much, Turnover Games. In the uh, podcast. Yeah, thank you, Tristan. Uh, turn order games, if you, if you do, as we said earlier in the podcast right at the beginning, they've donated two games for the giveaway today. They've been a wonderful partner to us. They've got a great little store down in Noble Park um, and are just fantastic people. And they've got a lovely little gaming room at the back there as well uh, when we're on a game day. So um, so if you're heading down that way, definitely not very far from the motorway, do, do pop in uh, and give them some custom because they're absolutely awesome. Um, so... We probably, because I'm thinking about time, because there's a, the big hours sort of coming up, um, and I'm just thinking if we can go sort of. That's not even the right thing. I'm trying to think. No, it's. <laughs> five to one, baby. One in five. <laughs> We've got 50 minutes to count down five to one. Boomf. So, Jen, this is getting worse, isn't it? Right. I'll never be allowed to play music in public This is hilarious. Uh, I'm loving it. (laughs) What is your number five? (laughs) My number five is one of our joint favourite games. Uh, This is a really great one to get out. Again, my competitive streak is showing loud and proud in the games that I've picked today. Clank. Any version of Clank, I don't care what kind it is. I don't care if it's the original, Clank in Space, the new Clank. They're all amazing. Clank is such a good game for conventions. It is definitely a great one for giving everybody a really good laugh. Another good one to introduce people to games that are a little bit different and a little bit quirky. What what more can you say? It's Clank. It's classic. It's freaking amazing and it's... It's one of those games that I generally will drag out at a convention when I'm just like, you know what, I was going to go and play something really heavy. Chris bought something big and, like, what's the space station one, Chris? A station full. <laughs> so 
Station Fall. It's like, Chris wants to play Station Fall. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And then I'm like, oh, my brain cannot cope. Clank is a really good final convention day game because everybody knows it. Everybody's played it. Everyone can just chillax through it. And then someone will go, oh, I'm done, and run at the last minute and let you all die. And it's just such a good laugh. And if you've not played Clank before, you are missing out. You need to get on it, especially Clank Legacy. Not at a convention, but so Clank, Clank Legacy. Not at a convention, really good yeah. Game. So let's say Clank, Clank Legacy is really good, but Clank Legacy is not appropriate for a convention, or it is if you're going to keep on seeing the same people that you met in the convention for another few weeks after the convention. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, Clank... So Jen knows we've talked about Clank before. Clank is also one of my all-time favourite games and game systems and series. Is Clank Catacombs slightly breaks the convention table, um, kind of constraints because a lot of convention oh, tables slightly? are nice and rectangular Massively. and catacombs wants to go but it usually covers enough space to warrant having a couple of tables together or one of the, like the big square tables so it's you can sort of get away with it and it's just really really cool so in clank catacombs your dungeon that you're exploring through will grow organically as you go with tiles and sometimes those tiles will even rotate and shift and morph as you go and it's easily the best version of the game as a game but all the versions of clank are great right they're absolutely fantastic some of the things they've absolutely. done with clank in space are brilliant it's funny it's imaginative it's charming um uh, one of the games because i didn't put clank on my list for, for i think just got sort of squeezed off a little bit because i, I thought i'm just putting on there just because i love clank um and it was almost there uh, but it's another game that's phenomenal it's also not on my, my list and I, I i don't i'm not sure you played it james so I don't think it'll be on yours, but Dune Imperium. Um, Dune Imperium, I was put off buying for ages because it was Dune. And yeah, Dune's famous, popular book. That was a great movie. Um, I hated the books when I read the books when I was a, a kid. And when I watched the movie, Me I went, why this is a great movie. It's just, it's about Dune, right? If he'd just made this movie and it wasn't Dune, like I loved the Blade Runner thing, then it would have been even better. And I still like the movie and I'll watch the second part. But the fact that it's Dune is still, I, I still don't like Dune. June Imperium, right? I mean, crikey, if June Imperium wasn't about June, it would probably be my number one game, right? The fact that it is about June brings it down a notch. But June <laughs> Imperium is also by the designer of Plank, uh, Paul Denon. And it seems that all Paul Denon has done is do like a couple of, you know, different variants on the same deck builder because you can see the Clank in June Imperium. But he's mastered what he does yeah. to the point that it is just perfect. And yeah, I can, I, I, I can go... I, Jen, I, I, I sat there thinking, why isn't Clank on my list? Because Clank is just the bomb. It's so, such a so, good so game, good. 100%. Yeah. I'd love to ask the chat, I, tell us which is your favourite version of Clank. Well, Chris tells us which is his number five. So my number five is a little bit of a cheat. Um, it's my one cheat of the thing. It's my one thing that's not a specific game. In fact, it's not even a board game but it is a game. Um, but it's, I think, something that if you're coming to a convention and looking to sort of explore what you can do at a convention and what you can engage in, it's the kind of thing that is made, just made for the convention setting. And so my number five is any one-shot role-play game. Right. So and by that, those mean, it's effectively, right, you go along to a convention, someone's running role-play games, is it a massive D&D &D session where having started on it, you find yourself 
living with the same people for the next like 20 years as you take your character through to level 72 until they get killed by an orc that accidentally drops like an anvil on your head? Nope. You're doing a one-shot game. It may not even be about Dungeons, Dragons, and Orcs. You may not know what it's about, but there's someone there who's ready to run the game with you. They explain it. They take you through the game. The game's relatively straightforward. You're guided through, and you have an end-to-end -end complete role-play game experience in between one and three hours right, with a group of people you've just met, and at the end of that, understand exactly what role-play games can be, which goes way beyond just what, what Dungeons & Dragons can do. Um, you could spend... Like and, and you can do one-shot D&D campaigns, but you could spend like that amount of time literally designing your character with Dungeons and & Dragons. And if you're going to invest like half your life into playing it, then that you know, makes sense to do that because you want to be kind of like, you want to have the right character, the character you want to play with. One-shot role-play games are different in that sense. They give you an opportunity to really understand what playing a role-play game feels like. And there's so much opportunity for creativity when you're designing those short one shots. Um, and last year we had, I mean, like a big shout out to Trent in particular and, and some of the guys from Pause Menu for coming along and running some fantastic games in that area. Um, I'm sure we will be uh, running, I'm absolutely certain we'll be running some more one shots at MeepleCon again this year, just because they are the best possible introduction um, to role playing uh, that you can have, I think. And so if you come into a convention and so there's one-shot role-play games being run, and they're only going to take a couple of years, days, a couple, uh, a couple of days, a couple of hours out of your time. Um, and you've not played an RPG before, and you're not a regular role player, then give that a shot. It's well, well, well worth taking the opportunity we, when you're there. We have confirmed. We do have back this year. Trent most definitely will be running some games. He's offered to run two one-off RPGs. I believe his beautiful wife, Bonnie, is also going to run a very fun RPG. And I believe Ariane from Mess is also going to be running at least one RPG. So we've got a whole gamut this year of fantastic RPGs that are going to be running. Mm -hmm. And from that, I can also and we'll probably have to pause menu matters. guys as well. Yeah. Yeah, so so there'll be Fantastic. the opportunity will be there. Really but so that was a bit of a cheat, but I I could have picked any like one random one shot RPG and then it'd be like, Can I play that? And it's like, oh, no, no, that's not the one we're running this year. So I thought, let's just pick all of them. Right, because the people we've just mentioned in that list, they're not gonna pick yes. a rubbish one. So you can trust them <laughs> trust them to come along with something absolutely fantastic. Right. But that was my number five. Are we ready for number four? Are we ready for number four? I can't think of a tune that Ooh, relates Chris. to number four. Um, just have to go. Can I go flamenco? No, I can't go flamenco. I'll just, I'll just like hit it hard. <laughs> May the four be with you. Oh, that <laughs> Never mind. Missed opportunity. Four it is. Jen, what is number four game to play at conventions. <laughs> I feel like everyone's going to hate me for this because this is a game that it I actually can't lift it half the time. It's so damn big. It definitely requires you to push a couple of tables together. It's a big, long, spend the whole day, play it a lot of the time game. It's Everdell. It's one of my favourites. It's so pretty. It's it's a game oh, every time I Twilight played Imperium. it at a convention. <laughs> The most hated game on the planet. Yeah, I know. If you've been listening to our podcast, you will know by now I hate Twilight Imperium with a fierce uh -huh. passion. I hate it almost as much as I hate Monopoly. 
but Everdell, I absolutely love. It's so pretty. If you've never, if you've not yet seen the Everdell big box, I will have it this year at MeepleCon. I will happily bring it to Board in the West if people want to play it at Board in the West. The first time I played it with Bonnie and Trent, who we were just talking about that run the amazing RPGs, we played at Tabletop Games and spent six hours on their giant table playing it for the first time. with it. It's, it's a big game. And I haven't yet played it with all of the expansions. I would love to do that at MeepleCon if anybody is up for it. And I pro- it's probably going to take all day. It really genuinely is. I probably shouldn't be as ambitious as to say I want to play with all of the expansions at once. But you know what? Life is short. Go hard. Play Everdell with every expansion. And it's worth saying, if there is anyone left that hasn't played Everdell, um, and of course there's always people left that haven't played Everdell, because um, if you just play Everdell out of the box, the base game, it's no longer than any other uh, sort of typical sort of Euro game. It becomes longer and more epic as you sort of add the different bits to it. But I know the first game of Everdell I played had all the expansions at the time, um, and someone had literally just received their Spirecrest Kickstarter, I think literally days before that game. Uh, so this is going back a bit, but it had like three of the expansions. It went out in three different directions, but not the fourth. And doing that, you could just get it on a convention table without it stretching backwards off the side. Right? The moment you added the expansion that went out behind the ever tree, then you've had it. Um, but I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I'm someone who prefer playing Everdell just with the base game. But the fact is, you can do that as well. The and box the base game is phenomenal. It's that's a, it's a big box. It's a big box. It's, it's like huge. a, a it's... There is it's, a it's... lot of love in the chat as well uh, from everybody for Everdell. Uh, do you own the collector's box? Uh, Leonard asks. Uh, yeah. I absolutely do. I have the collector's edition of Everdell. Um, I actually. Do you know what's really funny? I have the giant box over there, and then down here I've actually kept all of the other boxes. Um, I gave away my collector's edition box to a friend of mine who owns just – she bought just the base Everdell. And when I got the big box and I just had the, the collector's edition box sitting aside she said to me, oh, my God, I would love to have the collector's edition. I'm going to have to find it. And I gave her the box and she was like, oh, my God, that's fine. That's all I wanted. I just wanted the box from the collector's edition. So, but, yes, all the pieces in mine are the collector's edition. They're all the pretty pieces. It's got all the little boats and the little leaves and the pearls and the mounts. And my beautiful husband spent probably six hours stickering everything with all of the beautiful stickers that came with the big expansion box. So if you do want to play Everdell Everything, Hit me up at MeepleCon. We'll have it there for you. I think. I think actually, there's a top ten that I've not seen before. I've not, this is something I'd expect the Dice Tower to have done, but I don't think they've done it. Maybe we need to do it at some point, Jen. That we can think of ten. But top ten, I guess, labour of love type jobs, like the kind of really long, hard, strenuous, tough jobs that you have to do if you're truly engaged in board gaming, because stickering would 
be on that list. In particular, it's sticker in games that come with stickers that aren't very well printed. <laughs> yeah, I think I think <laughs> if, um, if acrylic standees, like taking the little plastic protective film off acrylic standees, uh, would probably be another. Or like oh, if, if anyone's played Canvas, the game where you've got the like, like you've got like little things on each side, and you have to kind of scrape with your nails, and at the end of it, you have to go and get a nail file out because you've basically completely knackered your hands. I, that would probably be close to the top of my list. But, painting. Yeah, it's a. Uh, Painting oh, mansions of madness. The whole thing. Yeah. It's like the, the, the paint queue is just terrifying. And I have the paint queue. I like my office. I can work. Like every now and again, I think I'm feeling quite positive at work today. Turn around and I see the paint queue looking grey and staring at me. And it's like, oh. <laughs> right. That's that's a different topic. That's a different right, topic. Chris. Um, so my You're number, number four. My number four is based around the game that if you're playing at a convention, and there's a few of these, right, but this is a, it seems to be one that I've seen a lot. If you play this at a convention, you will get a bunch of people around you watching, and they go, ooh, that's cool, right? And they'll sit there staring, and you'll be sitting there going, I'm trying to do something really tricky here, and everyone's looking at me because they are looking at you. So it often comes out at the end of a convention. It's a game that I will recommend to people at the end of a convention. So play this. Other people who were about to start another quick game get up and say, oh, I'm not going to watch them instead, right? Just because it looks so fantastic on the table. And this game, it's a dexterity game, right? Because you've got to have a dexterity game at least once at a convention. Uh, but my choice of dexterity games is Men at Work. So Men at Work is a game in which you are effectively building what it has got on the box, which is a bunch of scaffolding towers on a building site in order to climb up somewhere for no apparent reason. So you're not actually really building very much, right? These builders are carrying bricks up these scaffolding pipes. They're balancing girders up these scaffolding pipes. They're not building anything. You wouldn't want them to build anything because they're all wonky and all their scaffold towers are bent. They're all going to fall over. But you're basically sitting there balancing these massive girders up you know, in a big, big, big tower. And then you're balancing these cute little workers with incredibly cute little hard hats on them. And again, this is for the benefit of the video rather than for the audio later. There is one of the workers I'm holding up on screen with his little cute hard hat on. And they're balancing on these girders, which may be of different colors. Um, and they have to balance on there. And then, you know, it's hard enough to balance them on there, but then you try and balance bricks on their arms or you're balancing <laughs> additional girders on their arms. And then everything comes tumbling down and it's all absolutely hilarious um and but it just looks fantastic it's bright it's colorful if it wasn't for these yellow hard hats on the top of it it wouldn't look half the game it does but they really 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 make it and you just oh, look at it and go not. that looks amazing um and it's yeah it's it's, an, it's a brilliant 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 dexterity game um it's it has lots of fun. It's it's something which, you know, you don't have to have super nimble fingers. You just got to have a good sense of balance to engage in. So it's not one of those games where you, you know, you, the bits are too small, right? You will have more difficulty picking up the little padlock tokens in Clank Catacombs than you will have picking up the bits in here. But balancing them <laughs> requires a heck of a good eye and a, probably a pretty good understanding of where the center of gravity is of the model at any one point. And it's quite a challenge, um, but it doesn't matter because the joy of men at work is basically building it as where it can go and then watching it all come catastrophically clashing down, turning around and realizing that about two other tables have stopped playing and are just watching you. And you only get that at a convention. So that's why uh, Men at Work is my number four. 
Um, there is a question though, Chris, from Angela, mm -hmm. do they get uh, workers comp if they fall? And like, I'm wondering about work health and safety checks and all of that. I, 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 I don't know. I think possibly uh, we could have an Australian-owned Fair Work Commission uh, expansion uh, to this. Um, and yeah, potentially there could be because there is like a supervisor I think... uh, character who's on the cards in Men at Work. And you could bring, bring the union rep expansion there as well. Yeah, uh, it's... Yeah, that's Giselle's so. suggestion as well. They'll probably just go yeah. and strike. Yeah. I, uh, I think we I need think... to bring Mel into this one. Mel is our uh, does the technical legal stuff person. So, uh, Mel, uh, are we going on strike if men at work fall down? So question for Mel to answer in the chat, that's for sure. <laughs> Something I'd work out is that in the box of men at work, you'll largely see that the uh, it comprises a whole bunch of, of yes, men, let's be generous around things, um, or, or walking up the girders and laying it really badly. At the top of it is uh, a uh, the, um, the the woman who's in charge on the only girder that's actually laid in a straight line, um, desperately looking at her workforce and going, oh, my God, who recruited this rabble? <laughs> So, I'll read into that what you like. Um, the um, I think that we are, as we approach the half line, we are getting on to our top three, aren't we, Jen? We are getting on to our top yeah. three. Top three. Okay, so I've no idea what to do. So let's... I did that three times so it's number three <laughs> you go, Jen. what's your number three <laughs> if you've ever wondered if chris and i script this we absolutely don't we literally just spend the entire time we are recording podcasts talking shit to each other so there is a lot of editing that goes into this chris does it all well done chris my number three. Oh, now this one, I think a lot of people are going to agree. I hope a lot of people agree with me on this one. This is a game that's been extremely popular for a long time. When it first came out, it ran off the shelves in five seconds flat. And I spent ages trying to get myself a copy. It is the classic Amazing Wingspan. This is, I think, a new classic. It's definitely a game that if you haven't tried it yet, definitely give it a go it looks super complicated and super intense and it's just so pretty it's a really great game if you want to have a bit of time to chat with the people get to know everybody around you because everybody is managing their own thing everybody has time to chat and get to know each other you're not really going to interrupt what somebody else is doing by talking to the person next to you the great thing about wingspan at a convention that I love to do is grab a whole bunch of people that I have I've never met before, sit them down, play wingspan, get to know them. It's just not only is it such a pretty game in itself, there's lots of really awesome information about birds on there. And I, I mean, when somebody said to me, oh, you should try play wingspan, it's a bird watching game. I was like, oh God, that sounds like as exciting as watching paint dry. I'm so excited to play this game. But actually... It's really great. It's it's so pretty. It's so cute. It ticks all my boxes, the things that I love in games. Pretty, cute, social. It's a little competitive, but you're not really competing with each other as much as you're competing with yourself. And especially if you're playing against my friend Amy, who comes to Board in the West, 
you're never going to beat Amy. Amy knows Wingspan inside out and back to front. But we're all there just to have a really good time. And Wingspan is one of those games where you know you're going to have a good time. The points don't matter. It's a little bit like whose line is it anyway. It's just fun. And, yeah, that's a, it's a fantastic choice. And Wingspan, is it's not one that's on my list, uh, um, but not because it's not a great game to play at conventions. Wingspan's phenomenal. It's been a sensation. Um, and I know that's one of the things that, uh, you know, sort of, um, I think it was Jamie Stegmaier's number one on his list of games he wishes he'd designed himself when he did a list because it was like he's really <laughs> delighted to have published it. Um, but, God, he wished he'd come up with it and was as good at um, sort of producing and, and making that game work. And another thing he, he credited, um, he did a video on on exactly that, you know, games he wished he'd designed. I thought it came up in something that not so long ago. And one of the things he really credited Wingspan with, and Elizabeth Hargrave, the designer with, was that she was able to keep on coming up with cards for birds that fit the personality of the bird. They fit, you know, they. if you look at all the cards in Wingspan, what is on the card makes sense for the bird that is on the card, right? All of them out of however many hundred that is now, you know, kind of in terms of all the expansions. And that just works. And it means that the game's different every time. Um, it can be swingy, right? Because, you know, you might get lucky and you might get unlucky with the draw of the cards that you pick, but it's part of the fun. Um, and yeah, it's, it's so phenomenal. Uh, and I never get bored of it. And it works at every player count as well which is the other thing that's quite magic i know there's like an, a better two-player wingspan now with the asia set um but that doesn't mean that wingspan with two players isn't already good because it is uh yeah no i'm, I'm with you 100 percent on that gen but i left it off my list partly because it was one of those games where i thought well this is good for everywhere <laughs> right? and because there's only so much room and it because i've put a couple everywhere. other games on it um but I, I know i've got games that are good for everywhere on my list as well so that that justification falls over very 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 quickly uh, my number three is actually I only have an, a copy of one of the different variants of it. Amazingly, this is something that will change at some point. I'll just go and get a copy of the original because everybody owns the original or at least not everybody, but almost everybody owns the original. So there's always somebody who's got a copy or there's two copies or three copies to play. So I've never felt the need to go and buy the original. At some point I will. Um, but when you're talking about conventions, you go back sometimes to those classic games. So Jenny, you were talking about Ticket to Ride. Um, you were just talking about Wingspan and Clank, which are some of the real classics. Um, if you go back to the like the real classic games where people have sort of got into gaming, some of them have been real mainstays of conventions worldwide. Um, a couple of them have been even uh, part of record-breaking attempts where people have tried to make the biggest possible map or the biggest possible game or something. And uh, Catan is one of those, but Catan's a bit a bit old now it's, it's still it's still a good game but it doesn't necessarily stand the test of time the newer versions of Catan do in in a better way but so i've got a variant here but for me the number three or my number three game for playing conventions is i'm going to say the original carcassonne now i'm holding up carcassonne here amazonas because that's the version i've got i think it's great but i wouldn't actually say that's the my number three game to play at conventions i'm talking about the original um or the original with its expansions because you can make massive maps 
you know, we have tournaments. Uh, there's, there's been a regular sort of Carcassonne tournament that Melbourne Meeples have run for, for years um, around Melbourne Cup Day. Uh, as a, a Carcassonne tournament and we've had Carcassonne tournaments at MeepleCon I think um, there's been a record attempt to build the biggest Carcassonne map in the world that exists as a, a, an achievement somewhere I can't remember where it was I remember sticking it in in the quiz uh, it's either the last year's MeepleCon quiz or it was the quiz we did in, in lockdown um, but Carcassonne has had that all-time classic appeal it's just such a straightforward and easy game to play, but it's also been a real mainstay of game conventions. You know, ever since board game conventions have been running since, well, in the last 20 years anyway, since the, the, the sort of Euro game boom sort of kicked off and, uh, and modern board gaming kicked off, uh, Carcassonne has always been uh, a mainstay of that. So I, I, that's my number three. Do you know, I feel like with Carcassonne, Mm-hmm. This is going to be a little controversial. I think people either really like Carcassonne or they really like Settlers of Catan. And I know they're two really mm-hmm. separate games, but I kind of feel like people fall into one camp or the other. Mm. And I have to say, I'm a Settlers of Catan person. Carcassonne drives me nuts. Ooh. But I think it's probably because of the people that I played with. It's like Starlight Imperium. I know, or Twilight Imperium. I know Twilight Imperium can be such a good game if you mm. really love it. But I've played Carcassonne with some people who were just super, super, super competitive and I didn't know it that well. And they basically just spent the game trashing on me and basically using my spaces to improve their score without really teaching me how to play. So... Yeah. And you know oh, what? Is... When I've spoken yeah. to other people, <laughs> yeah, like when I've spoken to other people about it, people are either like, oh, my God, Carcassonne's amazing. I love it. It's so fantastic. Or they're like, oh, why would you play Carcassonne when you can play Settlers of Catan? I'm a Catan person. See, I'm not a Catan person as much, partly because of the way that the, that the dice get a little bit swinging. There's all sorts of little mods that people have made for Catan, and there's a load of expansions in it to make it better. Um, and I've got Catan. I used to play quite a lot of it. We used to play a lot of it in the family. Um, I'm probably more of a Carcassonne person, but I take exactly what you're saying, because one of the things you can obviously do in Carcassonne is those little cunning things where you try and completely block someone off. Uh, and screw someone over or try and do something very, very, very cunning. And there is a a lot of additional skill that Master Carcassonne players can use, which actually a really good Carcassonne player outside of a tournament probably wants to not do if they're playing with a newbie. Um, you've got almost like kind of like sort of hardcore Carcassonne and basic Carcassonne. So I think that's a good caveat. If you want to play Carcassonne at a convention, then it's good to play with the kind of people who want to play it the way you want to play it. Uh, yeah, that, and that's a... That's Absolutely. a decent level. Of, I, would, I would, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and it's so, I think it feels such a an archetypal convention game. And I suppose it's true with Catan as well, because there's like those giant versions of Catan that have been had at some of the, the major conventions around the world, where people are literally walking around the track, you know, lugging their wool and their wheat and their oh. <laughs> and their walls and everything. And it's from I mean, down. Um, I mean, that's that. If we could get that, I'd do that. Sort of work, yeah. We do need uh, we need need a lot of space. Maybe we can work outside. We'll have to look at the uh, the forward weather forecast uh, for the outside space at the show <laughs> and see what you could do there. But the um, uh, yeah, we'll push all the, the tables out of the way. <laughs> yeah, it's archetypal. We've got twenty minutes to the end. We've got another giveaway to do. We'll have a bit of a countdown to do um, because and maybe it's worth revealing this now before we get on to our number two um, at nine o'clock. Tickets for MeepleCon twenty twenty three. 
the 10th ever anniversary of MeepleCon, the 10th birthday of MeepleCon, they go live for sale at nine o'clock tonight. We'll be putting a link in the chat at nine at the end of this podcast. Yay! And we've got two more best games to go through a convention. And we've got another um, giveaway for the fantastic Jaws. Yeah, thanks courtesy of Turn Under Games to do. Shall we do our um, giveaway now? Um, we have two. Let's now, uh, let's, should we... Do it now, or should we do it after the... Let's wait to the end for the giveaway. Number one. Or we're going yeah, to the end. We'll we're waiting to the, the end for the giveaway. Go on, right. But because of the giveaway, and because I have to think of something to play on this thing for number two, let's go. <laughs> and that's in honour of our Bite event, Borden East, as well. <laughs> What's your number two? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we need to do this more often, Chris. Absolutely. I bring out the accordion. My number two. (laughs) Fantastic. I am absolutely not getting my opera singing chops out at all. Not happening. But my number two, uh, thanks to Mel and Tam, is going to be Obsession. I am obsessed. Like I was saying at the start of the podcast, I've been playing with Rod. Um, I got it for my birthday. I got to play it at Devonshire Society recently. It is such a fantastic game. And I know so many people are excited about it. I think it's definitely going to be one of the hot games at MeepleCon this year. And it's just such a great game. If you haven't played Obsession yet, it's basically marrying Mr. Darcy on steroids. And I like playing it with two people. I'm going to say it's probably going to be one of my favourite convention games this year because I actually think it's way better with three to four. I, I think the more people that you put in there, the more fun it becomes. If you get a little silly with it, put on some little silly British accents and start reading the, the text on the cards, which are quite thematic, you actually get some really silly, fun convention play. You know, there are some really great characters in that game. I can see people now going out and getting a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and some biscuits and sitting around playing Obsession with high tea for the afternoon. Definitely something I I think we could uh, maybe have a little session. Pinky's Mm -hmm. out, of course. Pinky's out. Pinky's out. We could definitely have uh, a bit of fun with that at MeepleCon. And I think anyone who hasn't played it yet, definitely get around it. It's I will have it at Board in the West on Friday night. I will have it at MeepleCon. I'm going to have it at pretty much every event I go to before now and then. Give Obsession a go. It is very, very fun. I, I think, Jim, we need to put a, an actual teach on. There's a, there's a definite, um, sorry, Chris, there's a suggestion in the chat that you play the Bridgerton tra- soundtrack in the background. Uh, is that a possibility? The Bridgerton soundtrack. Oh, I reckon we could probably find that. It's easy easy to do. Maybe not at a convention, but um, we could all have headphones on. (laughs) (laughs) Be like one of those museum tours. I think we could we could definitely make um we could make a playlist for a Bridget and playlist to share for for MapleCon, that's for sure. Mm 
we, we could probably do a teach of obsession at, at MeepleCon. Because one of the things is, again, it's like trying to do talk games to introduce yourself to someone. And the, the one thing that I would say about obsession is that the rule book, whilst excellent at making sure it covers every detail, makes it a little hard to learn the game because it covers every detail in order. And so Too actually going, details. hold on, how do I play this game? And then let me look at the details. But there's another book of even more details, right? You know, they've covered everything, right? They put all the details in, and then they put more details in a glossary. But the, um, but it's not actually as complicated. There as are games. four double-sided cards that are player yeah. guides. Like literally, it's got and so the, much information. But yeah, I agree, it's not that complicated. Yeah, it's not that complicated. And so I reckon we could probably put on some teaching events for Obsession because it is such such a good game. Um, and I think that's probably something that's made it fly under the radar in places, but everyone who's discovered it that I know of loves it and thinks it's great. So if we could do that at MeeplCom, then that would give us an opportunity to sort of introduce it and then can come along and sort of learn it, have, have it taught, uh, and don't have to sort of try and wade through the rule book sort of whilst you're at a convention, which is always that bit more tricky. But yeah, it's just mm-hmm. it's just stunning. My, my number two is going to be our first, and I don't know whether it'll be first and only, because we've got to do number one after this, but our first crossover game. Um, so my number two, going to play, play at uh, conventions, is another game that I've, I've played and taught regularly at conventions and events, which is Ark Nova. And we're back at Ark Nova, um, which also is soon getting a marine expansion. <laughs> right, let's get back into that. At some point, I get to the point saying, what the hell is that? And it's like saying, what, don't you watch movies from the early 70s? Um, the, um, so it's, uh, you know, kind of after <laughs> that sharktastic interlude. Um, yeah, Ark Nova, a lot's been said about it already. Um, but it has some attributes that make it a particularly phenomenal convention game. And one of them is its elongated rectangleness. Right? It has a board, long and thin, that means that the game fits on the tables that you typically have at board game conventions. Unlike games that are just too fat for the tables you typically have at board game conventions. (laughs) So not only is it one of the best games of the last few years, not only is it quite heavy and meaty, but at the same point, not that hard to understand once you get going with it, but it actually fits the tables um, really nicely. Right, it fills tables, but it fits the tables really nicely. And so for that point of view, that just makes it a fantastic convention game. Um, I associate it with conventions in my head because I taught Ark Nova uh, regularly and I, I tend to teach Ark Nova at events. The other thing is that we have a bit of association with uh, Ark Nova and MeepleCon, or at least Jen and I do, because we had a kind of hearty debate um, before uh, last year. We are talking about what games should we add to the board game library? And there was kind of the Ark Nova and the oh, it'll be a flash in the pan and everyone who wants to play Art Nova will just bring it. And it's Art Nova. So we had a bit of a debate about it. We got a copy of Art Nova and it flew out of the library every time. So the few of us that said Art Nova went, like that, right? You know, in that kind of like, <laughs> way you do when you got something right. Uh, just that once, because we were obviously we weren't always right. And uh, so we enjoyed that. So again, we associate it with the conventions for that reason, because it flies out of the library. Uh, it is getting an aquatic expansion. Um, they've interestingly um, done um, how to think about the same issues that Everdell's had to think about and come up with a different way of approaching it. So with all the Everdell expansions, one of the reasons they sprawl everywhere is they couldn't do the lazy thing and add new cards. Because if you just add new cards, you can't find the combinations you're looking for. In 
the expansion for Art Nova, apparently they have added more cards, but what they've done is they've created kind of a mechanic that represents a wave, you know, like the, the ocean wave, washing through the deck and basically recycling cards. So as you get the new ocean cards, they then wash through and flood a whole bunch of other cards across. So the cards appear and disappear faster. So you're more likely to find the card you were looking for, even though there's more cards. Now, whether or not you can keep the cards stacked up in the tower once you put card sleeves on them, which is hard enough as it stands, that's another thing entirely. Um, but yeah, Arc Nova is just a work of genius. It breaks, I mean, and this was something that was raised in our first ever podcast. It's got a card with a picture of a laughing, uh, well, it's got a card with a picture of a a northern Queensland blue wing kookaburra on it, and it says laughing kookaburra on the card. Learn your Australian animals, Mr. Matthias figure. That is um, borderline unforgivable. Um, and I would expect, and hope, <laughs> in vain probably, but I am hoping that the expansion for our Nova comes with a replacement laughing kookaburra card with a picture of the right bird. <laughs> right? Remember that is the as one well, thing. <laughs> it says... It also says the, I think it's the coconut Rosella. The coconut lorikeet, and it's got a, it tries to be really precise about the lorikeet, Thank but you. actually it's got slightly the wrong lorikeet. That is almost forgivable because all the lorikeets look almost the same and everyone just thinks it's a rainbow lorikeet. It tried to get clever and it got one, but actually it's the wrong one when you look at it, you know, and actually it's a, it a, is do, the wrong a bit one. of research. But I would never have known it was the wrong one if I hadn't researched it because I saw the blue wing kookaburra and was like, that's just not the same bird that is outside my window. You're kind of right. Because that's a little but bit easy, also, isn't it? You look at a picture of a bird. You look out the window and you go, nope. it. Mm, Yeah. I checked it as well. And the wallaby, the wallaby is not a wallaby. It's a patty melon. I know, I know. It's actually right. So it's a so <laughs> this is why it's like terraforming Mars. So Art Nova has got a lot of scientific value things going for it. It's done a terraforming Mars and gone and found stock pictures off the internet. I think they've relied upon the tags that internet photographers have given their photos when they've been in the Creative Commons to say what animals they are. But apart from that, it's a brilliant game. Um, he's just got to get it is a really you know, the Australian stuff. So what we'd say, and again, I think we've probably said it before, but to Matthias Frigga, given the subject of this podcast, and being that you're the designer of one of the greatest board games of the last 10 years, um, all will be forgiven if you come to Australia to MeepleCon um, and bring yeah, some like, promo cards to the right animals and play the Art Nova expansion with everybody <laughs> and... Um, basically come along give us some star you know some star power so come on come on matthias come to australia and we'll introduce you to lots of our local uh, flora and fauna um so that anyway was my number two so we're on to number one we've got 10 Good minutes choice. to go are we gonna go are we gonna go straight into this we're gonna do the giveaway quickly and then number one oh, number let's one, do the giveaway. the giveaway let's do the giveaway right, giveaway okay so we have a copy of the prospero hall jaws game um Go and get the shark, as you do in the movie, and so on. And we've got another giveaway. So back to Francois with the Wheel of Fortune. Okay. Da-da. Da-da. Yay! Jim Julian and Jules Jim. from Gameway. Hey, fantastic. So we will. I think they've actually popped off for the night. Are they they still here or are they gone? 
they probably heard what you said about Twilight Imperium. You do realize that's Jim's favorite game. (laughs) I know. Jim and I had a big conversation about Twilight Imperium and my dislike for it. We have to do the giveaway with people that are here, I think. So, oh, they're going to get really cranky at us. All right, yeah, no. They're not here. Yeah. It's fully legit. There's like it was open. Everybody can check the video. Jen, there's no. It's a man that cooks lovely chicken and 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 uh, no cares really for this. I think this one is really legit. What do you think, Jen? Or are we gonna run away? Oh, do you know what? Bless his cotton socks. I actually don't think Rod is listening anymore either. Oh, no, no, no. Rod, are you still listening? He's, He's not, not listening. listening. He doesn't right, listen. Okay. <laughs> Come on, we gotta go. Spin it a third time. Third time lucky. Yay! Tam's got to be here. And we've got seven minutes to go, so. Congratulations, Tam. Number one. Number Who is number one? My number one. Oh, my number one was not actually introduced to me as a board game. It was introduced to me as a make-it-yourself game but it is my absolute favourite thing to play at conventions and it's Marriage Wrecker. Marriage Wrecker does come as a game now called Monica's and I know it's probably not what anybody expected me to pick, but I freaking love it. I love it because it's so funny. If you're not familiar with Marriage Wrecker or Monica's, the way that the game is played is you have a whole bunch of cards. So you can either make the cards yourself where you write a bunch of titles for books, movies, songs, whatever you want, and you go around the table. I think it's a game that needs at least eight people to play and make it really, really funny. But seriously, the more people you have, the better. I played it once with, I think, 18 people, and you basically go around the table and you pair with the person opposite you and you have to basically play taboo. So the first round is you're playing where you're saying, let's say I had the card um, Indiana Jones in my hand. You'd be sitting there going, it's a movie with Harrison Ford and he wears a hat and he's an explorer and an archaeologist and you get people to try and guess what the card is that's in your hand. The next round, you can only use one word and on the third round, it's flat out charades and it gets absolutely hilarious. I have never, ever come away from a game of Marriage Wrecker without laughing my butt off. And Monica's is equally as funny, especially if you've got the Not Safe for Work expansion of Monica's, which I absolutely do in my deck. I don't play that game with children ever. It is definitely, you could you could make a kid-friendly version of it, that's for sure. 
but it's fast paced. It's funny. It's really good for getting to know other people. It's brilliant to play with people you don't know at conventions. You will very quickly know every single person in that room real like seriously by the end of it next time you see those people at the convention you'll be fast friends it's just so damn good absolutely if somebody says to you do you want to play marriage record or monikers get on it it's so fun and so Monica's, because I'd not heard of it called Marriage Wrecker until I met you, Jen. So I, I've, I've known it's Monica's and then sort of the game it comes out of. And Monica's is ace. I actually, in some ways, I've not seen it as Marriage Wrecker, but I can see where it will go if you basically get paired up with your other half and you're just like not getting it, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, but it's, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing fun. Um, one thing that you want to look for if you want to play a good game of Monica's in a convention is the words noisy games room. Right, there will usually be a space set aside yes. to be able to play those games that are a little on the loud side. Uh, that's particularly appropriate if you're going to play the not suitable for work expansions. If you are going to play those expansions in a convention in the noisy games room, yep. it's less about the fact that you're noisy; it's more about the gestures. <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But but it's yeah no I mean you can't can't knock it. There's been uh, we've had so many fantastic games of of monikers around your house, Jen, and I know last time. It was made with uh, homemade cards as well. And the really brilliant thing about yes. it um, is that you can have a deck that is full of complete nonsense that you've no idea what it is. So, for instance, in the Monica's decks, there's a whole load of cards that are like YouTube memes, which don't make any sense to like old kids who haven't seen them. And there's also, you know, like myself, before I use the word old git, before uh, I'm referring to, to myself, I'm not making an ageist remark, well, except to myself. Um, there's, and then the me too. Well. Yeah. Rod has to always um, explain yeah. them to me. Yeah, but you get you get that kind of thing where basically you don't know what it is. And likewise, it could be the other way around. It could be something that's too old. But because you have that first round where you're explaining them, eventually everyone's learned them and learned what they are. So by the time you get to the next round, you all know what everything is, even if you didn't know what it was before the game started. And so there's that little memory aid. So that is completely broken down, that barrier of what it is. And actually what becomes interesting is does it lend itself to some good charades and some entertaining descriptions? And that's what's so really, really cool about it. Yeah, no, it's just a phenomenal game and it's such, such a good laugh. Um, I'm going to come with my, my number one because we're quickly approaching we the nine o'clock mark. It's not say, a crossover. We do have one quick rule with Monica's. Mm-hmm. Don't, play, don't play with your partner. We always don't allow people to play with someone they know really well. It's much more fun mm-hmm. that way. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, so my number one, I'm watching the clock here. It's not a crossover, so we only had one crossover, which was our Nova, but it has been mentioned in this podcast, right? And it is probably the archetypal convention game. Now, post something like Carcassonne and everything else, it is the game that was created at conventions. It became a phenomenon at conventions, Australian designed. Um, it almost has its and does have its own conventions where people play nothing but this. Um, you'll be able to play it at MeepleCon. Um, you're able to play it at OzBunnyCon. Um, you can play it with me running the game or you can play it with someone else running the game and it will be different. And that is the masterful Blood on the Clock Tower. And I found it really hard to pick anything other than Blood on the Clock Tower as a number one convention game because this is a design designed to be played at conventions. Yeah, you can play it at meetups with like X amount of people. But really, this is well, that's what it's all about. Um, it's a social deduction game on steroids for those that haven't played it. 
There are multiple different versions of it. The most commonly played is the basic version in the box. There's a few more different scenarios. They all have different characters. And it's both a social deduction game where you're trying to guess who's the traitor. And there's like kind of a, uh, there's a murderous imp out there, you know, kind of that's killing people off. And you have to try and work out who the secret character is that is there. But everyone in the town has got a different identity and like a different thing. Um, it's also like a hardcore strategy. Or the drunken fortune way. teller. Yeah, or the drunken fortune teller like Jen, right? And some people play it as a hardcore <laughs> strategy game because there's a logic puzzle in Blood on the Clock Tower, which you can try and work out in your head if you play it a lot. And if people are playing it again and again and again and again and again, that's often what they're doing. But it's also great fun, just as a seduction game. It's a bit of role playing. Um, it's just a, it's really a phenomenon. It's an expansion on games like The Resistance, Secret Hitler and so forth and Werewolf, right? That, that's what it is. It's, it's another version of that kind of game. But taken to a level of drama, taken to a level of depth that is just a step up. And all of that complexity that you get from it being a step up is handled by the storyteller. And the storyteller, their player aid is this box, right? I kid you not, this entire box is a player aid, right? Inside this is like a felt thing which folds out into a book. In the felt thing, you stick all the little counters Everything is about designing to remind you how to play, right? Because you play the game yourselves, talking to each other. This <laughs> is the world's biggest player aid for any game whatsoever. So it also has really good player aids, which is all important in a good convention game. But yeah, for me, the number one convention game, I wouldn't, it's, I'm not saying it's my favorite game of all time because that's a different thing, um, is Blood on a Clock Tower. I love playing it um, a lot. I like um being the storyteller for it uh, just as much as I enjoy playing it um, and I tend to go for making it like a little bit easier and a little bit less kind of hardcore hardcore storytellers will be very 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 tight and adherent to the rules uh, you know for hardcore blood on the clock tower players and the brilliant thing is it, it works for either um, but I can look up see the time I'm looking at it it's a minute past nine where's that drum roll sound Jen oh the drum roll sound we got to find the drum roll sound when it finally loads. Come on, load for me. Where is the drum roll sound? Here's the drum roll. MapleCon tickets roll. are now on sale. And I have just posted the link for MapleCon tickets in the chat. Um, so um, on this Facebook, that's why I was just clicking around. So there is the link there. Um, MapleCon 2023 tickets, they are now live. Uh, we are going to have the most phenomenal convention this year. We want to celebrate everything that's gone into 10 years of MeepleCon. Um, right now, sort of at the end of this podcast, because we talked a lot about what's going on in MeepleCon. We talked a lot about great games to play. We talked a lot about great gamers, players, and everything like that. I want to take a big, 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 massive shout out, not just to the Melbourne Meeples Committee, but to Matt Utting, um, who founded Melbourne Meeples and MeepleCon in the first place uh, 10 years ago. Um, the uh, kind of this is kind of a big event for all of us. I think it's an understatement to say it's an emotional, a big event for Matt. It's like a, it's like a massive major birthday uh, sort of coming up. And you kind of see that kind of a, it's almost like the, the, the look of, of someone who's basically approaching like one of those milestone birthdays. With kind of going, oh, <laughs> you know, kind of a both sort of like joy and trepidation coming up because we are going to have a monster party of a convention this year. Um, so I want to thank all of you. Uh, um, both in Jen and I was going to say a big, big, big thank you um, to all of you for turning out uh, to listen to the podcast uh, today live. Uh, who, if you're listening to it after the fact, 
what were you waiting for? Where were you on Thursday the 31st? But go and get your MeepleCon tickets because they will sell out this year. Um, a massive big thank you to Francois for watching the Twat Chat and to everyone for being uh, with us today. Um, Jen, any last words before we sign off? I didn't put Blood in the Clock Tower on my list because I knew it was going to be a number one and I'm so glad I was right. So <laughs> I agree with you. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. Look, massive shout out to our team. We do have the best team at Melbourne Meeples. Matt puts in a huge effort every year. All of us do. Like it's, we love MeepleCon. We love being there as much of an effort as it is. We wouldn't do it if we didn't love doing this for you guys. And we have such an amazing community out there. So massive shout out to the beautiful community of people who keep coming back to MeepleCon year after year, who come to our events that happen pretty much at this point. We have something on every single weekend of the month. So if you need something to do on the weekend, jump on the Melbourne Meeple's uh, Facebook chat, or sorry, the Facebook itself, jump on the Melbourne, Melbourne Meeple's website. Sonica has done an amazing job of updating our calendar. So it's all up to date. Everything is on there, guys. Please grab your tickets. Tam made a really fantastic point that you will be getting an email really soon if you are a Melbourne Meeples member. In fact, it should have, I believe, gone out tonight, which will have your discount code. Fantastic. So it's ready to go. We can't wait to see everyone at MeepleCon this year and have an amazing time with all of you. Good night, everybody. 